Welcome back to the Storybook Podcast. My name is Whitney Mwangi. I'm the founder of the Storybook. The topic today is on mental health well-being. We'll be hosting Onyango Otieno, who's a trauma therapist, and Miss Olive Ndiangui, who's the lead therapist at uh, Prometheus Consulting uh, for Psychosocial Support. And they will be talking to us about being okay and five ways that the African youth can prioritize their mental health well-being be sure to stay tuned because this time we have surprises for you and we would not want you to miss out Thank you to the two of you for making time to join us today for the World Mental Health uh, Day conversation. And we'll start with a round of introductions. Um, why don't you tell us what you do, Olive, and a little bit about yourself? My name is Olive Ndiangui. I'm a psychologist, a therapist. Um, I run a mental health page called Prometheus Kenya. We talk about mental health issues. And I also run a group practice where I'm the lead therapist and I have three other therapists that I work with. Okay. Yeah. It's a pleasure. Welcome. Nice to meet you. Over to you, Onyango. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Onyango Tiano is my name. I'm a poet and a writer. I tell stories for healing and uh, connection. I also operate a safe space for sexually abused boys and men. And I'm also a trauma therapist. Right. We will move on to our first question. Mental health is a vital part of our overall health and wellness. Yet the conversation around wellness is very much stigmatized. Uh, tell us a little bit about you and your journey to being a bold mental health advocate uh, despite the stigma. We'll start with you, Onyango. Well, I grew up in a violent home, first one of three kids, and uh, my parents fought a lot. My dad was also quite violent towards me. I didn't know how that would affect my brain and my body and how I perceived myself. So I had my first bout of depression at 15 years old. I remember I was a Form 1 student at some school in the then Nyanza province. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would start, like, I would start skiving class. I just felt like my body was heavy so I didn't want to go to read I was just hanging out like in the dormitories and playing football I, I just felt like withdrawn right okay. then by the time I was 16 these issues now started catching up with me and uh, I started running away from home so I've been uh, a street boy at some point then I became suicidal still at 16 ran away from home, wanted to kill myself. By some miraculous things that happened, obviously didn't die. <laughs> but then I've had bouts of depressive episodes over the course of time throughout my 20s. And it was until 2017 when I had uh, my last uh, episode. And I came out to talk about it. I had um, idealized taking my life at the time. Um, I had lost a friend to suicide and um, another person who died through low blood pressure and they were my peers. I didn't have a job, I was coming off a very unhealthy relationship as well and things just felt like I was stuck, you know. So I remember coming home this day and uh, taking a two hour long shower. 
asking myself, what am I going to do to myself when I get out of this So something in my head is like, should we jump off the building? Another thing is like, should I take a rope and hang myself? You know, um, but then as it was when I was 16, writing came to my rescue. So I remember leaving my bathroom naked, wet. I just opened my laptop uh, and went to Facebook and wrote that I feel suicidal today. And, um, you know, people like me look together, they, we look strong and we are the people who hold space for other people. But I am overwhelmed at this moment mm. and that changed my life. Okay. Wow, that's a it's a powerful story and thank you for sharing it with us. Um, there's a lot that we can unpack from what you just mentioned, but for a beginner, knowing about depression and having the boldness to admit that maybe I'm going through this, was this something that happened in the moment or did you realize it later? What exactly? Um, so you said that you had your first depressive yes, moment, yes, yes. you know, when you were really young. Right. And I'm thinking about the information that we have about depression. I think it's recently that people are beginning to talk about depression, what it looks like and how it manifests. So for you, was it something that made sense to you at the time? Or did you look back and you're like, you know what, that was depression. So when I came up with my story in 2017, I started attending therapy and um, I was also quite curious that you know because so many people wrote to me saying they were going through similar experiences and I wondered how come there were so many who were experiencing this thing but nobody was talking about it. I started searching online what is available about these situations and I am coming across terms like depression and anxiety and PTSD and it's like oh wow what are these things a whole universe um, and so when I was diagnosed again so that's when it started making sense to me because somebody explained my pain and it felt liberating so when I went back in time that's when I started recognizing, oh, at 15 when I was feeling this way, Kumbe, this is what was going on, right? And now everything started making sense going backwards. And, and people say uh, life makes sense backwards yeah. sometimes, yeah? yeah? Okay, I'm glad you lived on to share this story uh, with us. And now to turn to you, Olive, um, how, tell us about how you got into this journey and the practice and even bringing other uh, therapists on board. Well, I mean, it's interesting because my first degree is actually not in anything close to psychology. My first degree is in architecture. I had always been this kid who was very interested in like the nature of reality and life. Like, why are we here? What, what is this about? Like, what's our purpose? Why, why do we exist? So I went into architecture, well, because I passed and, you know, you're supposed to do a big course <laughs> when you pass, as is expected. But somewhere in the middle of it, I felt like I was really lost, like I had lost touch with myself, with the person that I was. And I actually did go into a bit of a depression in campus at that time. And it was really interesting to me because everything was great. I was in a great course doing well. I was seeing a, a person that I cared about very much and it was a happy, healthy relationship. My family was good. I mean, for all intents and purposes, I should have been happy and fulfilled, but I was feeling very, very disconnected. And I realized that I had found myself kind of following a script that 
I thought was what my life was supposed to be like as opposed to being authentically myself, mm-hmm. you know? So I started to deliberately choose to do what I cared about and only what I cared about. Mm-hmm. That led me to leaving architecture and now pursuing a career in psychology, like going to study psychology. I'm just shortening that story, but there was a lot of upheavals in between that as you can imagine in an African home. Um, we value education very much. We value stability very much. So making a decision like that and um, choosing to make that journey was a very big deal. It took a lot of courage. I'm very happy that I'm, I'm always saying that I look back and I'm very grateful to that 22-year-old for mm-hmm. her boldness because if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be here today. I went into this because I realized that we can very easily lose touch with ourselves and that inability to connect with yourself is a really big part of what causes people to go into mental health issues, experiences such as depression and anxiety sometimes have their roots in something as simple as that, as simple as just inauthenticity. And it became sort of like a mission for me to help people connect with themselves and find themselves. So this is how Prometheus was born. And that's kind of been my mission throughout my practice. All right, so it's it's good to hear your journey and 22 is a very young age for you to make such a bold decision going against the grain of culture and family. So what does Prometheus mean and how did it become a choice for you to give to the journey that you're now mm. taking? <laughs> yeah, so Prometheus is a Greek titan. It's actually uh, a mythological tale of this Greek titan who stole fire from the gods, right? So a titan was basically something in between a god and a human, and he stole fire from the gods to give to man as a gift for them to be able to advance. And the reason why I chose that, first, I had always been interested in Greek mythology. I find it quite interesting and fascinating. I find mythological stories very interesting because in a sense, they're like a repository for all human experiences. And what you'll find is that myths are very... um, they sort of co-occur across different cultures. Yeah, so in a sense, it's sort of like this thing that unites all of us. I found that story was very reminiscent of the process of becoming or of coming into your own, you know, because there's a a lot of difficulties that go through that journey. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, once you have that experience, once you've become this person and you've had this um, awareness of yourself, inevitably you feel this desire to light that bulb in everyone else's mind so to speak you know what I mean because you notice you realize how you recognize how much value it's brought to yourself and you sort of feel like wow this is something that everybody should experience everyone should have this experience Mm -hmm. so he's a hero to humanity and I actually think that everybody who takes any chance to do anything bold and brave Mm -hmm. for the sake of others is a hero to themselves and to to everyone around them right right so you both bring very interesting perspectives to the conversation different sides of you know backgrounds and indeed heroes, mental health uh, heroes. And I hope that uh, the young people who are watching us today are going to appreciate the perspective that you bring because it's not every day that we see bold uh, young people making their dreams uh, come alive. So I will move on to the next question. Research has revealed that there are about nine mental health workers for every million people uh, in Africa. As an expert in this field, what would you say is the cause of few mental health practitioners. I know for you, Onyango, how your journey started was out of experience 
experience and perspective and for you more or less i believe practice and also an interest so why don't we start with you olive why do you think there's such um a huge disparity in the need versus the, the mm. caretakers if i would say i think that's interesting um, i'd be very curious to know uh, the background of those statistics because just anecdotally from my own experience being in school right um we have a lot of classmates so <laughs> i wonder where all the psychologists go i find that what tends to happen is market forces people train as psychologists but when they go out there there's no work necessarily there are no employment opportunities only very recently has like the Kenyan government for example constituted a board of psychologists mm-hmm. so in a sense to a very large extent there had not been any psychologists being hired in government institutions so there's like a gap then if that happens you come out with a psychology degree you're not going to pursue that as a profession because it doesn't make sense you're going to end up finding something else to do that you can make like a living out of so I think that there are a lot of mental health professionals who are trained but they might not necessarily be going into the space as a livelihood because it's not possible for them to do it because this is uh and this is something that I always say mental health is healthcare it should not be relegated to the space of like the private sector it's something that the government has to take on as a healthcare priority and employ psychologists and employ counselors so that they can offer the service it shouldn't be otherwise what happens is that a gap exists because more often than not people can't afford private healthcare yeah it's expensive right okay okay thanks for that perspective olive what do you think onyango why why is there a gap i think maybe part of that beginning is uh, our cultural understanding or perceptions of what mental health is or is not for example where we are coming from as a continent we used to have traditional healers medicine men and what not people would go to these healers and they would try to figure out what's going on with somebody in your family and stuff like that and then as a people we also experienced deeply um ingrained cultural and social interactions with what colonialism did and so even our self identity really changed then in recent history our understanding of the need of a psychologist is only when something is really extreme that somebody really lost their minds you know and they need to go to a mental hospital so even the policy makers the leaders the political leaders the the government as an entity will say okay for this group of people we will create this major hospital and then all of them will be going there extreme cases right but then we haven't understood mental health as a spectrum as a, a reality that exists within different experiences that people have in their day to day so if our leaders are thinking of it like that is the people the people in power are thinking of it like that it's almost obvious that the general population will think of it like that mm. so there's no education about it because of lack of information that leads to ignorance yeah. that leads to neglect right, right? Uh, so if, before we think of institutionalizing like you know what Olive is saying the secret is at the attitude level if we do not have enough people in power enough people in our homes who understand what mental health really is then it's going to be really difficult to because it's so easy by the way also Olive 
we can come up with the structures but if people don't know why it, the structures are important mm. they won't use the structures that's true they won't we will have psychologists and therapists in offices and workplaces but they will never be used right. because people will still feel ah this is not ours it's a white people's thing right. you know I, I don't want to show that I'm weak you know all these different attitudes that people are struggling with so I feel like there's a lot of psychoeducation that is needed in regards to this conversation just so that even as we are pulling the numbers up institutionally wise the general population also have some kind of basic understanding if not more about what the need for this service really is about and I believe the issue does not just relate at the policymakers level even for the population as well as you've rightfully mentioned and the statistics now the number of men who are, are submitting to depressive episodes maybe through suicide or you know other repercussions maybe um, abuse to drugs and etc is almost double the number of women but it appears that there's more women who actually experience mental health issues mm-hmm. And so given this uh, background what you've mentioned about the policymakers and and the systems what do you think women can do uh, to support each other for mental health and you can obviously speak from a perspective of a man and how you've related to women and you can speak uh, from the perspective of you as a young woman and perhaps clients as well um what women can do to support each other in yes. the mental health process that's a very interesting statistic and it's something it points to a very interesting dynamic because what it means is that like there's a gender disparity for sure everybody experiences mental health issues that's, true. that's a fact regardless of gender but women might be more open to discussing it because we've created social spaces where women feel that it's okay for them to express difficulty pain struggle whereas we haven't created the same space for men men don't feel that they have that space in fact we ridicule men when they express themselves in that way women have that space they should foster it further right um create environments amongst themselves where such a, a discussion can happen and then um I suppose even teach like younger generations about what to do when they come into such experiences right. and create an avenue for younger generations to do that because I think that's probably the biggest challenge that comes across or that I've noticed more often than not is that the issue becomes more problematic because it's not dealt with early on it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and then finally there's now this explosive moment where now this person has an episode of this nature or that nature and then now suddenly we're like oh how can we help but before that experience something has been going on you know what i mean something has been going on for a while this person has probably been trying to talk about it has tried, probably been expressing themselves in some way or other but then um maybe they're just not in an environment that's supportive or that's hearing them and over to you onyango how do you think men can support each other to keep their mental health check that's an interesting question because men often do not support each other um, when it comes to these issues there was a research i read that said when boys are younger they have more intimate relationships with each other mm-hmm. but then that starts changing towards their puberty and then as they grow older then these emotional friendships starts like they're just gone 
and why is that when boys are getting towards their puberty they start to want to be associated with the adult men around them you know there's all these scenarios of violence and drugs and crime and trying to be cool and all that why because the power struggles start there when i'm seven years old and i have a best friend who is a who's a boy like me we are not thinking of overpowering each other we are just thinking of we are children we are just connecting that's all right, right? but then at 15 all of a sudden i want mike to know that olive likes me right. <laughs> I'm the man. yeah i'm the man right. so you know my voice is breaking and i have a little chest out there and stuff mm-hmm. like that and i have cool sneakers and shit so i'm separating mike and i are separating right. because of all this things that are happening in our culture, in my society, in our environment. For me, my biggest challenge for, for men is we have to go back there. You have to go back to seven years old and six years old and start holding each other's hands again. Not to be afraid, oh, it's gonna be a homo or whatever. Because where did those ideas come from? How come it wasn't homosexual when you were six, when you were seven? <laughs> right? So that over-sexualization of male intimacy, that's a huge problem we're dealing with today um, in our world. But then also it is the socialization that men have had about the expectations society has of them. And I have to keenly mention patriarchal society right and to say that patriarchy affects everybody so you also have women who have these expectations of women mm. right um, and men have these expectations of themselves and also of other men okay. all right so it is that idea you have to be strong all the time you don't talk about your problems i remember one day when um this is 2015 again my parents were fighting and i had enough of it so i dared to call them for a meeting called my parents for a meeting which is suicidal really yeah and because that's how deep things were you can imagine so that's kind of like parenting your parents you know um my mom and i we were fairly friends so we would talk but then with dad you never knew what was going to come it was always a risk so on in like among the many things he said there's one statement he made that just it changed my life and 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 he said he doesn't come to me with his problems because I'll think he's weak. That was major. Mm. That was major. I don't come to you with my problems because you think I'm weak. And in my head, I'm thinking, this dude, I've lived with this dude for 27 years. I know his weaknesses. What is it that he thinks in his mind, I see him as a perfect person, that I don't know his weaknesses, that he has to perform and act as though he's perfect so that he can please me. But the idea, his story is that a father always has to be strong. You have to provide, you have to do all these things. Your children cannot see you as a weak person. Right? Because what? He lose respect in all those things and honor and all that stuff that men are told they should aspire for. Right? So it is disconnecting myself from the illusion that I have to have uh, honor and respect as a man and think more of being authentic with my emotions, with my thoughts with my connections, with my friendships, with who I am and how I navigate the world. So how do we support each other? Let's start thinking of how life was when we were seven years old and we were just talking about everything. We have to go back. That's lovely. It is. And it's an interesting concept because it takes us back to vulnerability. 
accepting who you are, your flaws, um, even if you're going against the grain, what the society expects, what the society thinks is powerful, is respectful, is worth of honor, and you deciding that I'm going to go in this direction and I'm going to express myself in this way. And you mentioned, uh, Onyango, that even women have certain expectations, not just on themselves, but also on men. And I was smiling on the inside because I'm definitely guilty of that. I make fun of my male friends. Wow, bromance, you guys are going for a drink? You know, and maybe it's time for us to to stop that and just accept that we can be, you can share, you can open up, you can talk about not being okay because the topic of today is are you okay? Are you really okay? You can be not okay and, and it's still fine. It doesn't take away um, from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that perspective was very interesting and it's actually made me think about now the female side of the coin because I think for women what we miss out on is that we stop playing. I think that's the one thing that I really noticed the most. So men actually keep up the play culture. I suppose it's probably the only thing that's left yeah. <laughs> from, yeah? Yeah, yeah. in terms of even just a place of connection yes, it's like you yes, guys will yes, go and play so football together and whatnot. but women stop playing women yeah. have interactions which are very social but also very controlled and very um, there's a lot of heavy expectation for mm. women amongst each other in terms of how you show up right. and um, you're not allowed to be messy or tomboyish as actually yeah because that sort of infringes on especially the older you grow and you're going into this marriageable age you know you're supposed to you know be this very demure and put together Mm -hmm. woman and I think it's actually very burdening it's a very burdening experience and I think that lack of play has a really huge impact on your emotional health because physically it's good for you to like run around and like be rained on or I don't know you know what I mean like we won't even go swimming because of our hair I mean honestly it's, it's unfortunate so I think that aspect it really it got to me because I was like yeah I think for us what we lack is that we don't play anymore right Yeah. Right. I like that and maybe we should play some more right yeah. and just be free be um be honest be ourselves mm. though I I do want to um, fight with you on that only yeah. because I feel like you know sometimes you go on a date and the guy just shows up this guy he, he just came with his shirt no yeah. lotion no nothing <laughs> well we will show up but still men yeah. I understand we are keeping our mental health in check no pressure but you know no but I mean there's no reason, there's no reason why you can't go have a, a fun time out in the woods and like roll around in the mud and be rained right. or then go home and shower and show up for a date looking okay. nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, fine. Really we can do work with this. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so research has shown that adolescents in Africa are the most affected by mental health issues. Um, one in seven adolescents experience mental health uh, breakdowns. So bringing this back to Kenya, one in two adolescents report clinically elevated anxiety and depression. Um, how can parents and peers support specifically adolescents struggling with their mental health? I'm not sure if any of you is a parent. 
But from your interactions, I mean, you were children once, and how would you see that your parents could have supported you? Let's start. Um, it's interesting that you should say that. Well, I suppose to some degree it is a pointer to a mental health problem. At the same time, I think it's also a natural thing because teenagers are naturally very emotionally reactive. It has something to do with how their brains have developed and there's a sort of overdevelopment of like the emotional components and an underdevelopment of the cognitive components that happens naturally. So that over-emotional thing that teenagers tend to have, it's, it's typical across the world, right? But then, of course, it's true. Then that becomes probably a point where, yes, a problem can come up um, or some kind of fracture point can come up. I think a very big part of it is, I think, a lack of connection. You know, we actually choose around that time to take our children to boarding school. So they've been living at home, seeing every day, blah, blah, blah. Then there's a sudden rip. So I'm not really necessarily saying that we shouldn't take kids to boarding school. I know that's Mm -hmm. a huge cultural norm that, you know, uh, I might like really flare people's perspectives they suggest that something differently should be ha- different should be happening but I think it's a big fracture and it happens very suddenly and very intensely because those are long periods of time right. and then these kids go and maybe they don't ever feel the capacity to have like a deep engagement or connection with their parents right. anymore maybe even before then they've not been having that experience okay. um, maybe parents and maybe this is something that happened uh, mostly when in our generation growing up a lot of our parents had this perspective okay you're being taken to school you're being fed you're fine so i don't necessarily have to be there like talking to you all the time or having a relationship with you but that attunement is a very big part of how we develop emotionally and how we learn how to manage our emotional experience label them understand them make meaning from them so um, when these intense emotional experiences are happening to these kids at teenagehood, what level of connection do they have with their parents? Are their parents mm-hmm. present with them? Are they able to talk to them? If especially kids have been raised in a very authoritarian style, then there's a lot of fear, right, that right. they have towards this. So this is your caregiver, but you're afraid of them. Right. Of course, you're not going to express uh, maybe thoughts that you're having right. about your sexuality right. or other ideas that that you might have that you think that they might be against right yeah. so then of course you keep that stuff to yourself inevitably yes it's going to cause a problem mm-hmm. so i think um at the bottom of it a lot of mental health issues are really an issue of connection okay so being creating spaces in which teenagers are able to emotionally connect to adults around them to feel safe to have ideas that are even different and imagine that those ideas will be listened to, maybe not necessarily uh, fostered and like, oh yes, let's do this different thing, but, but listened to you know, engaged, you know, discussed as opposed to shunned and pushed away and then now putting this person in a place where they're sort of like isolated or they're sort of having to isolate themselves. Okay, yeah. okay. And it, the, the issue of connection comes back again. And I'm curious, do you think it's a concept of them not being connected with themselves? 
And so they don't know how to transmit that connection to their adolescents or children. That's very teenagers. likely. That's very likely. Yeah, because I think inevitably if you didn't grow up mm-hmm. having those experiences and you might not know how to have those experiences with your children. Okay. You know, I actually have had so many experiences with parents of children who are either teenagers or going into teenagehood who are very completely unsure how to relate to their kids who are now starting to ask them questions around their sexuality or saying that they like this person forget even teenagehood actually because these kids have these questions even when they are younger yes and there's a lot of awkwardness right yeah. and then translates like you might not imagine that your kid catches on but they catch right. on and they really realize that oh when i asked this question this was the reaction so they're not going to ask it again but they'll still have the question and yeah. it'll still bug them they'll probably yeah. find other places to find those kind of answers and that right. sort of thing and maybe they will internalize the idea that these are not things that are supposed to be discussed i understand the parents perspective because i think sometimes we parent bash a little bit we shouldn't and we shouldn't especially for us who are not parents right. yeah. <laughs> i think it's a bit hypocritical it's hard i can imagine for a parent because this is someone who you're trying to take care of and you don't want them to have dangerous experiences mm-hmm. so when you hear them say something that you imagine is dangerous you immediately it makes you panic a little bit i think it's helpful to even admit to the child that hey you know this is something that i never i wasn't quite sure how to discuss with you but i'm glad that you're asking me about it you know um i think it's something that's important we should talk about it maybe give me a day i want to think about it so i can give you a good answer you know so that you don't have to tell them something when you're not prepared already right. yeah right. but ultimately do have that conversation with them yeah be like okay yeah, this thing that you brought up yes ask me again what is it that you wanted to know that ability to do that also mm-hmm. it's true you're right is a factor of emotional maturity and growth which sometimes people don't have even as they go into parenthood right yeah right, right. It's, true. it's it's something you learn on the job and you are bringing a you know a thought a memory that i had i saw a report saying that the youth in africa get their information from social media one mm-hmm. and then two from the church from the opinion leaders and then three i believe it was from their peers their friends and their parents i think came maybe number 7 or 10 after mm-hmm. magazines and everything so that's that's an issue uh, there's definitely a need to build trust and connection as you as you mentioned so let's hear from you onyango you called your parents for a meeting <laughs> so it is it's a different level um on your part Well, yeah, I, I generally feel that um, parenting is hard. It really is hard. And also because it doesn't exist outside the general reality that life is really changing on this earth. That's true. And rapidly so. Every day, you know, the way our parents were brought up, they were not prepared for the future. Neither were their parents prepared for the future that was the present of, of our parents. Mm-hmm. Right. And at the same time culture is changing, music is changing, history is changing, politics is changing, everything. And so somebody is coming to you with the tools that were used on them at a time that things were very different. And so there is a lack of elasticity in the way we understand connection as well and, and parenthood, right? Uh it's funny, you know, I, you, she was mentioning the thing about when a child wants to talk about sex and the parent just shuts that off because they think 
think it's inappropriate. I remember when I was 12 years old and uh, my mother busted a love letter I had written to some very lovely Kikuyu girl that I had a crush on. And I don't even know how she got to the bottom of the mathematical set. I have no idea how she sensed, oh, sense, no. you know. And she beat the hell out of me. Utasoma Unajua? You know, I was told. Yeah, yeah, you know, like there's, there's no alternative. So, to hell with my emotions, that's what I'm being told. Right. And your desires, to hell with them. Right. At the same time, I'm having weird dreams. My science teacher is telling me this is what's going to happen to you in bed and da da da. You know, now you'll start noticing your right. peer girls, their breasts are coming out, their hips. Right. Where am I taking all these desires, man? Right. And these are my classmates. Nakana kwa class. Unajua. But at home, abomination. You know. Then, the year is uh, 2020, pandemic, right? So, 2020, when I was 12, this is the year. So, that's 20 years later. I'm sat with my mom at a restaurant. And so, my mother is asking me, so, unajua, miaka zimeenda? unapangaje? You know, never had a single conversation with me about relationships since I was 12. The only, it was like, no girls. Utasoma, ama, you no, and then the next time that conversation is happening is now where is our where where is your person? What are you planning? So I'm wondering where was I to learn even about how to woo a girl and stuff like where you know. So that's the thing. I feel like it's it's so much work and it cannot be left to parents alone. I feel that. You know, back in the day, the way, like, my parent would go to work and then I'm left with the neighbor. I grew up in a neighbor, so, like, we were just there as a community. I feel a lot of that has disintegrated. And so, so much expectation has been put upon the nuclear family to get everything right. You're a parent, you're a mom, you're a dad, you have to get the parenting right. So now, your child is a teenager, you have no idea how to go about things, you're afraid to show show your child that you're a human being who doesn't have to know everything. Mm -hmm. And the, for me, that connection part, this is where it comes in. You can do it together. Right. Really? Right. Like, let's find out. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah? Let's find out. You don't have to know. Right. And it's okay. Right. You see? So I feel like there's so much fear in not knowing that parents have. And I understand because again, you're ex the, the child looks at you as their world. You have to know everything you're their god you have to know but then i think we miss that opportunity to make children understand that being human has nothing to do with being all-knowing mm -hmm. and that the best way to connect is to say i need support here even as the person who is older mm -hmm. that you need support and kids we underestimate kids a lot because they see, they learn. Mm -hmm. They can tell this one, I can go to this one for this and I can go to this one for this. That's intelligence, right? Let's start promoting parents being able to humanize themselves so that their children can humanize them as well. Because if I always had that expectation that my father has to do this, this and this, it's also because he presented himself to me like that. Right. <laughs> right. right. If he would come to me and tell me by there, Nimesota by there, and I even do when he wanted to show everything was okay all the time. Right. And it wasn't true. Right. So when I wanted it, then it wasn't there. And then what? 
then I start hating him. Right. Then I'm becoming bitter. Mm-hmm. And him is struggling. For real, he's struggling, but he doesn't want to show me that he's struggling. And yet, perhaps sometimes, just sharing it in the family table unloads the burden of having to take everything alone. Right? For all of us. Right. You know? So, I feel it has to be intersectional. I feel it has to be intercommunal that parents of adolescents just feel, need to feel that they don't have to know everything. I think that could be very liberating for a lot of parents yes, out there true. today. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that and I think it, it can and should also be intergenerational Yes. so that we get to pass it on. To a certain extent, we've had to fight ourselves from the concept of I can do it all. And yeah. we, we talked about it in the beginning of, of the interview. Um, well, I was a difficult teenager, that's for sure. And my horror stories, we cannot finish them today. Yeah. Of how your parents just know something. Is, they can sniff out that something beyond books is going on, right? Um, but you, you bring up the concept of community. Them knowing who they can go to when, you know, the, the children knowing who they can go to when their parents cannot feed them in a certain uh, space. So let's talk a little about group therapy. Um, That concept is not very well known. It's not very well explored. We do it to a certain extent. We sit with our friends. We talked about playing, uh, women showing up. We just chat, even though it's a controlled group. Uh, What has been your experience with this? And uh, is this something you've practiced or do you see it happening? And would you recommend it? Um, Let's start with you. Mm, Yeah, I mean, group therapy is is a wonderful experience to encounter yourself and other people. I think it's it does happen. It, there are actually spaces where group therapy happens and there and I think it's valuable for a lot of different issues. In my practice I do use it. Um, mostly when I'm in corporate spaces um, most individuals come you know individually. Okay. <laughs> yeah but then um, I find that what happens with group therapy is kind of like it's like a it's like a microcosm of of society so you have you're in this space and you're interacting with people and in a very real time manner you're going to experience the same same triggers and experiences that you have out there in the world Mm -hmm. but what's going to happen is that you're going to be able to kind of like look at the meta level of that experience Mm -hmm. and the process of it okay so this happened how come you had that reaction to this person or you know what I mean and then that sort of becomes a way in which wisdom is shared Mm -hmm. without even people having to uh, necessarily explain what has just happened. Everybody has an experience where they recognize something and they learn something. And then also even just that experience of recognizing that someone else is having the same experience as me has had an an encounter that I have had as well is healing. You know what I mean? Just that self, that reflection is very healing because immediately it makes you feel a, a certain level of humanity you're, you're humanized, you're feeling, yeah, we are all in this together. So um, there are a lot of group therapy practices out there, actually. I, I know of quite a few that are supporting various different things. I mean, I think we know about these things mostly when it comes to like addiction, um, alcoholics, anonymous groups and such right. things. But there are others that deal with, you know, people who are trying to live abusive relationships or marriages, people who are maybe working through childhood trauma and such experiences in the past. So those group experiences exist and they're very 
very valuable. Okay. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we do at the storybook is build that sense of community because I noticed when young people are going through uh, their issues or challenges, they want to hide. They want to seem like everything is okay. And that isolation, it can aggravate things. But when we allow people to tell their stories, then they are able to, to show that it's not you. It's not just you. Mm-hmm. It's not a, an isolated issue and you can get through this, right? Um, and so it's good to know that these kinds of practices are going on beyond the AA groups kind of concept. And we'd be happy to hear from other youths who've tried this and how it's working out for them. So to you, Onyango, what do you think about group uh, therapy and have you experienced it and what would you say about it? I have to say that um, group therapy is one of the most powerful tools that exist to mankind to help them navigate difficult emotions. And I say that because it's just one of the oldest tools existing for us because we've been communal naturally as primate as um, you know higher beings we've been we've been very communal and so group therapy is very sensible in helping us just live life you know back in the day people used to hunt together they used to collect fruits together they'd cook together go to work together we even had things like work songs you know today you can't sit in an office and then now you're singing a work song it doesn't exist (laughs) you know so this more natural right Um, um, I've had experiences as what um, Olive has just uh, mentioned there where, you know, it's guided and, you know, there are these uh, tools that are offered to you in the space and you all process it differently. And then there's also the informal one where now you just have your your people, right, your circle, which maybe I would want to shed some bit of light to that. When I was 21 to thereabout, I met my group of boys who we established a brotherhood and um, at the time we started it off just as a mere bible study and of course you know we we wanted to just come to share what we knew about our spiritual journey and all that but then in time we realized that all of us had issues with our fathers and then now it became a safe space to talk about our fathers and we didn't plan that really okay but then what we later on learned was that we were giving ourselves opportunity to experience something our own fathers didn't experience at our age at the time that sense of brotherhood and community that also kept you accountable mm-hmm. when you were growing we were allowed to make mistakes right. you know like something would happen and you will not be outcast as like okay this mm-hmm. has happened we are mentioning it right? right you can do better we are here to support you Yes. And what that did, it encouraged all of us to just want to be better mm-hmm. with our relationships, with our idea of what a family looks like, mm-hmm. with each other's friendships and all that. So in that sense, informally, like in psychology terms, I would say it strengthened my nervous system. Mm-hmm. I felt stronger, I felt safer, and that took me through those very... Because at the same time, my parents were still fighting at home. It's the same period. Mm-hmm. So I had a place to go. I would 
just humanize myself and cry the hell out of that man I was crying all the time right. and I just had somebody to just tap my back right. or make me tea you know or right. just tell me you know I'm here to listen and that's all in the spirit of that that it's a it's a space that you can cry you can relate to each other you can speak authentically make mistakes and be stronger to go out again and face the mm-hmm. world I like that um, so if uh, you are just joining us thank you so much for sticking with us through the journey we've been speaking with Onyango Otino who's a trauma therapist and he's also a storyteller on healing and we've been speaking with the lovely Olive who's a therapist psychologist at Prometheus uh, Counseling and we've been talking about uh, five ways or in fact they've given us more ways of dealing with uh, mental health issues and how young Africans can maintain their well-being we'd like to thank you very much for your time as we head out to the closing um, why don't you share with the young Africans out there on you know any last remarks why should they take their mental health seriously beginning now uh, maybe you can share some perspectives on long-term short-term effects of not taking care of yourself yeah why don't I start with you Olive it's very important that you take care of your mental health I think that goes without saying it might not necessarily seem evident but over time it just makes you have a more fulfilling experience in terms of your work life in terms of your experiences with your family in terms of your, your social experiences with your friends and just a general sense of well-being which I think is very valuable more than that I think it takes you beyond that place of survival into thriving where you're not just doing things to get by you sort of unlock a certain level of creativity and I think that is an extremely valuable thing for you as an individual but even as you mentioned because I care addressing Africans and I think that's really great because as a continent I think it's so valuable for our young people to move beyond the survival mode and go into thriving like now that I am succeeding in taking care of myself and I feel whole and well how can I give the gift of myself to others mm-hmm. how can i expand my capacity in such a way that it's impacting other people around me mm-hmm. and i think that's how we take ourselves from where we are now and i mean the sky is the limit really we have so much opportunity and so much capacity within us is something that mental health can really give someone is that capacity to be a gift to others to be valuable to others yeah um so thank you for that perspective and if what i am taking from you is that if you're able to take uh, care of yourself in that way then you you have enough to pour out exactly and build the systems around you the community and help them be well mm-hmm. as well right mm-hmm. okay um how about you Onyango uh, well there are so many answers to that question okay <laughs> um sadly we don't have all day uh but there's a phrase that i really love that goes your physiology affects your psychology and your psychology affects your physiology your body and mind go together but then many of us even in this conversation would concentrate on the mind working in trauma i i learned that our bodies store a lot of what we are really struggling with right so you know better but what you're doing is different because that's the story your body knows and so for me it's very essential that we start teaching people how to be present in their bodies to recognize sensations to 
learn how to breathe you know because it's breath that keeps us here right. yeah but if we don't understand breath then we don't understand life right. right to be aware of who they are becoming you know because then it will be easy to even offer grace to others who are struggling with certain things if you understand what you are struggling with but if you don't understand what you're struggling with then projection is easy Right? right and you end up hurting other people thinking that uh, you're the one on the right all the time so for me let's also start thinking of caring for the body because when we care for the body then it is easier to care for the mind when you care for the body it's easier for you to care uh, for the mind we'd like to give our viewers an opportunity to work with our two lovely guests so stay tuned on our social media pages and we will inform you how but for now Oh, let them tell us how you can reach them perhaps their social media pages websites Onyango Otieno on Facebook uh, Twitter and Instagram the handles are at rixpoet that's r i x p o e t and the website is onyangootieno.com So Olive Nyakabi you can find me on Facebook and Instagram on the handle at prometheus_ke and the website is www.prometheuskenya.com. There you have it. Thanks a bunch for listening in uh, on the conversation on mental health well-being. That was uh, Olive Diangui who's the lead therapist at uh, Prometheus Consulting and Onyango Otieno who's a trauma therapist talking to us about five ways that the African youth can prioritize their mental health well-being. I you really okay uh i hope this episode will help you uh, strengthen how you pursue mental wellness and so that's our story be sure to connect with us on our social media pages and on our website that's www.thestorybook.whitneymongi.com and tell us what's your story